It was December of 2009, and a young boy was about to embark on his first adventure into the great wide world. The young man had hopes, aspirations, dreams that he wanted to accomplish, but the young man carried two bags. The first one was filled with all of his hopes and his dreams, but the second was filled with pain, struggle, frustration, and ultimately, it bared him down in the weight of all that. When this young man decided to embark on this journey, he was not afraid of the unknown. You see, the unknown was comfortable for him. What was more uh, uncomfortable and fearful for him were the rhythms of his life, the simple things like uh, the waking up and, and having a, a good meal and sharing some time with the family and the simplicities. That was what he was afraid of because this young man didn't have a, a great upbringing. It was hard. He didn't hear much of, hey, you did a really good job. Instead, it was the opposite. It was like, hey, why didn't you do this better? So this young man, as he gets ready to embark on the world, he constantly lived his life almost five to a week or to a year in advance. The young man never really lived in the present. He didn't care for the past. He didn't care for the present. He cared more about what was coming. This young man lived his life in such a way that he wasn't really living, but rather he was outliving his own life. You see, our passage today speaks a lot about this speaks a lot into this reality. This young man had hopes and dreams, but he also had some struggles. He had a humility issue, a pride issue. He didn't ask for help, and he didn't really trust God. James, our writer, the brother of Jesus, in his letter, uh, the book of James or the letter of James, he begins to talk about these things, and he sandwiches our verse between these beautiful passages where he's talking about pride, humility, and trust. James begins to speak, and he says, look, you've got it wrong. You've lived your life your way. You, you, you boast on the things that you do. You, you, you've allowed yourself to be the center of it all. That is wrong. In our passage today, James writes this in James 4, 14. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. What a great passage that builds up anxiety and depression all at the same time for this morning on Father's Day, isn't it? It's hard. It's difficult. But I think there's beauty in this passage. Because I think when we look at it through the, through the right lens, we'll begin to see what this passage is actually trying to point to. Just like the clip, there are three things I want to take from this clip. Three things that the movie kind of pulled out of me that I began to see some of the important things that the clip was actually talking about. You see, it's a father and a son. And he's talking to him and he's, he's guiding him through some of his hardest moments in his life. And he says, look, I, have a, I, I, I start with this and then I go to this and then I go to this. And then he ends with, I think, what we all should do at the end of the day is Laughter. My first point is this. The first thing I see in the clip is checkpoints or markers. I call them life scars. James says, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. See, many times in our lives, we forget that we do not have the power of knowledge the same way God does. And so we begin by saying to our kids, hey, do this this way because I know. 
hey, this is how it should be because I know. Now, there are certain things that that phrase should apply. Like if your son or daughter decides to take a, a fork or a knife and stick it in the socket, you should say, don't do that because I know what's going to happen. That's a good phrase. But when we say, hey, your life is going to be just fine, it's going to turn out great, you don't know that. You're not God. Your responsibility isn't to say, hey, this is how it's going to be. No, your responsibility is to say, hey, this is how we're going to walk because this is what God has called us to do and this is how we're going to live our lives. It's better than saying tomorrow, yeah, it'll come. I know it will because I think it will and I know it will because I, it should. James says that this, that's not right. We don't know. See, when I say checkpoints, what I mean are the scars that either you have inherited or have because of some of your own life decisions. They are the marks in your life that they tend to um, point you and lead you in certain directions and certain points of your life. Some of these checkpoints are, are life scars and, and they're full of shame, guilt, pain, and completely are full of unhealthy life situations. Now, some of you have life scars that are beautiful. And I mean this in the most beautiful way. Some of your life scars are full of love, grace, forgiveness, redemption. Some of your life scars are, 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 are things that you look up for and look up to. But can I tell you this? Your scars aren't what, they, what define you. Whether good or bad, they're not what define you. Strayed Cheryl, in her book Wild, has this dialogue. And, and, and there's these two people talking, and one of them says, wounded. I was wounded. Wounded was all I could manage. Yes, said Pat. And you're wounded in the same place. That's what fathers do if they don't heal their wounds. They wound their children in the same place. Many times in our lives what happens is we ourselves are filled with so much pain and suffering and, and scars. And intentionally or unintentionally, what end up, ends up happening is as we raise kids, as we love our neighbors or try to love our neighbors, as we try to love our spouse, what ends up happening is we tend to pass on those pains, those scars. If I do not step into the furnace of God's grace and begin to heal through his work and, and ultimately begin to, to, to get rid of and start the process of redemption and restoration and forgiveness, I will only pass to my kids the hurt and pain that I have felt in life. Life scars. Now listen, I would be missing out an opportunity if I did not speak to the fathers in the room. But this is not just for fathers. This is for everyone. Dads, future dads, this verse is for you. Many times in your lives, as fathers, we want to do the best we possibly can for our kids. We want to create a world that's better than ours. We want our families and our friends to join in on creating this beautiful world. But what happens is we ultimately create the world in our image and in our likeness and in our desire. And there's no room for God's plan, for God's will, for God's desire. Let me ask you this question. Are we raising the next generation, our kids, to do the same, to do something with their lives that others would remember them by? Or 
Are we raising our kids that no matter what they do, known or unknown, their lives will not be measured not by what they do or what they have done, but rather by the heart that they have for Jesus? How are we raising our kids? Are we raising them to say, yeah, yeah, become somebody famous? Or are we saying, no, I don't care what you do. That would be lovely if you did. But if you had a heart for Christ, I'd care more about that than anything else. You see, one of my greatest joys came on the announcement that I was going to be a dad. But one of my greatest fears also came on the announcement that I was going to be a dad. The reason I had this great fear was because I didn't have a great father. I had a good father, but not a great father. My life scars were full of pain and hurt from my family, intentionally or unintentionally. The only thing my dad ever taught me, and these are not bad things, was how to play sports. Pretty good at them. He also taught me how to work hard. He taught me how to care in the sense of how not to um, uh, uh, just say uh, no and, and then do something else, but rather to say yes and actually follow up with that. These are great things. But you know what my dad didn't teach me? How to get on my knees and pray. How to get into his word. How to, how to sit down and read God's word and let it edify me and equip me. He taught me everything else that I needed to know but the most important part. Dads, moms, are we raising our kids to care for everything else or are we raising them to run to the Father, to cling to him and say, look, I'm going to abide in you. John Tyson, author and pastor, wrote this beautiful book called The Intentional Father. And in there he quotes a study done by Barna um, and it asked 30-year-olds these questions. It said, hey, tell us in your own words what was good, um, what was bad about the way you were raised by your dad. And this isn't the exhaustive list, but these are the ones that were ultimately repeated the most. Well, my dad did right. He was a good provider, strong work ethic, always there for me, compassionate, loving, kind, taught me right from wrong. What my dad did or what my dad got wrong, he worked too much. He was angry, abusive, and mean. He was an addict, drank too much. He was emotionally uninvolved, forced me to strive for his goals and not my own. You see, when I read this, what I see in this study is there is hurt, there was pain, there was anger, there was frustration. But honestly, there was no real depth into the emotional and spiritual side of their upbringings. And I think the reason behind this is because men tend to not do the hard work of dealing with our past. The way we deal with our past is it's in the past, done. I don't need to worry about it, it's gone. But in reality, what's ultimately happening is intentionally or unintentionally, this past that is behind me that I don't want to work on is now pouring out of me into my kids. When I get frustrated, what I look more like is my dad than actually Christ Jesus. What I look more like is the anger and the frustration and, and all the heartaches of what I got when I was a kid instead of the love, grace, and mercy that Christ has poured into me because I haven't done the hard work of dealing with my past. 
So how do we, what do we do? What's next? Well, we got to break the cycle. And this isn't an exhaustive list of how to break the cycle, but this is just a start. Ask or seek help. Find a counselor or a therapist. There's nothing wrong with it. I grew up in probably the most frustrating culture ever. The Puerto Rican culture is if you went to a therapist or a counselor, something was wrong with you and your whole family. Do you only go to the doctor when you're sick? Or do you go for regular checkups? Do you have routines and say, look, I need to, I need to make sure that I'm okay, healthy or unhealthy? It's the same with our emotion and spiritual health. What are you doing? Are you seeking help? Are you asking for help? Are you, are you allowing pride to take over? Or are you saying, I need to humble myself and actually seek the help that I need? Because I don't want to intentionally or unintentionally pass on the hurt that I received. Number two, work toward reconciliation. Work to reconcile with those who hurt you. This is hard. Reconciliation is hard, but it's good work. Do the hard work of forgiveness. There's this beautiful story of, of this young lady who had experienced the Holocaust. And her family died, but she survived. And in her older age, in her older years, she was going to the market to get some fruit. And as she got there, she was paralyzed with fear because she saw a face of one of the soldiers she recognized. And the soldier looked and saw her and recognized her, and he began to weep. And he went over to her and said, forgive me, I've messed up. I have found Christ. Forgive me. And she said, get away from me. I will never forgive you. At night, she goes home. She opens up her Bible, and she begins to read, and the text begins to say to her, if you don't forgive, I won't forgive. When you forgive, I'll begin to forgive. I'm paraphrasing. But the whole point was this. In that moment, God began to speak to her and say, look, how much have I forgiven you for what you've done? Yes, it's hard, and it's painful what he did. But you need to forgive. It is your responsibility, my responsibility to act and live and walk like Christ Jesus. And then lastly, don't do this alone. Men in this room, y'all tend to want to be isolated and do this by yourself. I can do this by myself. You can try. And it'll work for a little bit. But at the end of the day, when iron sharpens iron, when you join in with other men, you begin to go into the hard conversations. You begin to wrestle and tussle and say, look, I'm dealing with this, this, this. Help me. How do we keep going? What do I need to do? And then we check on one another and we say, look, how you doing with this? Okay, you're struggling. All right. Well, let's pray. Let's get together. Let's meet up. What do we need to do? But that's not just for the men. Ladies do the same. Young men, young women do the same thing. Find a community to sharpen you. The second thing this clip showed me was this idea of, of knowing how to push the vehicle too far. Called it holy dangerous and knowing how far to push. You see, we must build a culture of understanding. Understanding that we have been given a vehicle. What is that vehicle? Well, before we know what the vehicle is, we have to build the culture. Of what? Hard work and time. See, hard work is hard work. Simple. But it's more than that. It's the hard work of learning how to heal, how to come to the Father, how to run to Him, how to abide in Him, but also how to learn how to love our kids. 
Get to know them. Understand who they are. Do the hard work. And then second time. Time is never on your side, but it is an ally. You see, be, being in God's word takes time. Learning how to pray takes time. Abiding in him takes time. Jesus in John 15 um, reminds us of the importance of abiding with him. He is divine. Before we can push the car, we have to know the vehicle. So what is our vehicle? What are we driving? I want to make an argument that the vehicle we are driving depends on the stage of life you're in. But the vehicle is the same for all of us because it has the same builder. The vehicle is our humanity. It's our humanness. To understand this, we must start at the very beginning. In the book of Genesis, God builds this beautiful garden. And then he says these beautiful words, let us make man in our image. You see, not just to be autonomous individuals, but to also, as individuals, be set apart for the kingdom and his purpose. God said, let us make man in our image. Humanity from its conception was made to have the thumbprint of God in its unique DNA. In the first chapters of, of Genesis, we see that humanity is given four unique purposes. Number one, we were made to rule. Number two, we were made to reign. Number three, we were made to be fruitful. And then number four, we were made to tend. Now all these have a little asterisk next to it because this was before sin entered the world. It is still for us to do afterwards, but it's a little bit harder because of sin. Let me say a couple things on each of these. Number one, made to rule. This one is beautiful, but it is hard to understand in our context because of sin. Our understanding of this has become corrupt. We see this idea of ruling to have power and think, oh, well, this means I have to gain as much power as possible and dominate everyone else. But the better understanding of this term is that we were made to be his ambassadors. We were made to represent him and his kingdom, not ours. We were made to represent him and how, how we rule and how we lead and how we cultivate what God has given to us. Number two, made to reign. Again, this is hard for us to understand because we have a fractured understanding of this idea because of sin. This does not mean to power over someone. Rather, it is to enact justice the way God enacts justice. It is to live our lives the same way he would right here and right now. It means we are to be benevolent rulers, which ultimately means to rule with kindness. Number three, we were made to be fruitful. This one, again, is simple, yet it is very hard means that we have the capability to recreate and bring new image bearers into the world. Now, this is also hard because sin is a parasite, and it is infecting the human race. The idea to be fruitful is to say that we have a similar capability to create like God, but we don't have the same power. We cannot create out of nothing, but rather out of what he has given to us. We can only replicate what he has done. Some of us, our fruitful this is, is, is to, to, to do this through the act of birth. For some of us, our fruitfulness is through the act of stewardship. Now, what I mean by this, it's not that all of us will have kids. 
But all of us are called to still be stewards of the gift God has called us, to be faithful. Some of us, it'll be through the act of birthing children. For some, it'll be through the act of caring for children, whether adopted or, 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 or spiritual. For some, it'll be the act of caring for others around us. And then for others, it'll be the act of stewarding the lives that you have, your life. Whatever it may be, the call is still the same, to steward the lives God has blessed you with. Number four, we were made to tend. See, the act of tending is the act of caring for, stewarding with. To care for something is to live sacrificially for others. God, in his infinite grace, calls you and me to steward creation, one another, and to do it with other image bearers. You and I are called to be his ambassadors right here, right now. We were made to steward the gift that he's given us. Fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, grandfathers, grandmothers, brothers, sisters, uncles, aunts, cousins, adopted mothers, mothers and fathers, adopted sons and daughters, um, stepmothers, stepfathers, stepbrothers, stepsisters, whatever your title is, you have a huge responsibility before God to work hard at learning how to live your life not as you intended to do it, but as God designed it for the sake of all creation. This means we are to learn how to live sacrificially the same way Jesus lived his life in his humanity. My last point is this. The last point I got from the movie was the perfect lap. You see, many of us are looking for perfection. But perfection isn't a thing, but rather it's a person. And his name is Jesus. Many of us think that we are to be perfect as Christ is perfect, but the mandate wasn't perfection. The mandate was holiness. Many of us want to be perfect like Jesus, but Jesus says, you need to be holy like me. Set apart. The Greek word, uh, or excuse me, the Hebrew word for um, holiness is kadash, which means to be sanctified, consecrated, and dedicated, and ultimately separated from the worldliness around you. You and I are called to be holy, not perfect. We are called to create in, in each of us a holy imagination that ultimately helps us point others to Christ. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 11 says this, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. See, it's not to boast in what we can do, but rather is to boast in the Christ who is in us in our most weakest moments of our time. It's to, to, to as I keep reading this text, it, it's therefore I will be content in my weakness, Paul says. With insults, I'll take them. With distresses, let them come. When I get persecuted, so be it. With difficulties, I will endure. Why? For Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to steward all that God has given to us. My sermon in a sentence is this. Let us be stewards of the souls God has blessed us with and point them to the heart of Christ. Look, I know this is hard. It's difficult. I know. I've got two little ones. Trust me, it's hard. But even if I didn't have kids, it's still hard because I'm present living right now. My own life is hard. 
there's this beautiful line in the movie, The Lord of the Rings, where Frodo, he's taking a ring, and he feels the weight and the burden of all of life. He's like, I wish this would have never came to me. Gandalf, the wise um, wizard, says this to him. So do all who live to see so see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. You and I are only here for a short period. Our lives are vapors. What are we doing with the time that we have? Are we, are we just trying to create this beautiful world here on earth? Or are we saying, you know what, that's fine, that's beautiful. If it happens, it happens. But if not, I want to stay close to the heart of Christ Jesus. And not just me, but my kids, my wife, my family, my community. That I would be a beacon that points to Jesus and not myself. That's why I think as I close and wrap all this up, when I told you the story of the young man going on his great adventure, that was my life. That was my life. I was carrying two different bags, one of hurt and pain and one of goals and ambitions that I really wanted to tackle in the world. But it wasn't until someone came alongside me and said, let me show you who Jesus is. Because the hurt and pain that you have is holding you down. The moment you step into his furnace, the furnace of, of grace and the furnace of redemption and restoration, when you step in there, you're not alone because Jesus is in there with you and he'll begin to heal, mend your broken wounds. Many of us need to enter that furnace today to wrestle with the, hard, the hardship of that, our past. To say, you know what, I do have life scars, but I tell you what, they're beautiful because of the redemptive work of Christ. Yeah, it's hard. Life is hard. But I want to be a better man today. I want my kids that one day when I'm old, God willing, when I'm old, they can look back and say, my dad, yeah, he wasn't perfect. But he pointed me to Jesus every single day. 